Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Pro Podcast. I am your host for this week's very special show, Tom Basson. I feel like I'm saying very special quite a lot at the moment on the Sports Pro Pod, but it's that kind of time of year where we're just really excelling in terms of our content output and this is no different and um, this uh, this episode is to mark the release of our 50 most marketable athletes list our very own annual ranking of the power players in the world of sport on the field and for this very special episode i am lucky enough to be joined by two highly esteemed colleagues i have with me sports pro editorial director michael long hello mike hi tom and also on the show i have once again sports pro features editor sam carp hello sam hey tom hey mike nice to be here I'm trying to remember the last time the three of us were on the pod together um if it's ever happened before so uh let's see how this new formation works out yeah i feel like we've gone full attack mode on this pod i actually wanted to have a little bit of fun with this year's list and do a bit of a quiz but before we get to that i think it's probably important to kind of set the scene somewhat and talk about how this year's list came together maybe pick out a couple of the more interesting names on it or if not the interesting names then why the interesting names are where they are so i don't know mike maybe perhaps good places to start is by coming to you maybe you can give us a bit of background on how this year's list came together yeah for sure firstly this, this is the 14th iteration of 50 most masterful athletes so yeah we, we've been doing this since since 2010 uh so we've come a long way since those early days of just kind of uh seeing this as a bit of a conversation piece where we would just kind of debate who is the most masterful athlete on the planet in any given year but having been involved in kind of 12 editions of putting this list together i can assuredly say that it's definitely our most comprehensive assessment yet of global athletes and i think whilst you can debate the rankings and placements within the rankings i think this is the most robust model and methodology and process we've gone through ever to get to this final ranking so the really interesting list this year has some real fascinating stories in it and as i said you know the methodology has always evolved in those early days it was all about marketing potential looking ahead to how athletes are going to fare over kind of the coming three years now it's very much kind of data-led far more scientific as our kind of understanding and and definition of athlete marketability has kind of grown and developed over the years we've looked to kind of take a more sophisticated approach to it and more measurement tools have ultimately come to the market as we've seen across the industry you know measuring fan sentiment and uh, social media analytics and things like that so we've looked to incorporate as much of that into this as possible as well as a lot of qualitative research we've worked with various data partners over the years we're now collaborating with Northstar Solutions Group, who are based out of the US. And ultimately, they've been working with us since last year and had many, many conversations with industry players and experts and data providers and um, and what have you. And I think as we've got into this, I guess we haven't really found any single provider or set of providers out there who have the breadth of the data that we would want that feed into our definition or our understanding of athlete marketability. So ultimately, we've got out and developed this methodology and created this model that underpins the ranking that really does factor in all the different dimensions of what constitutes an athlete in 2023 and you know the marketability of an athlete and that's everything from their own personal brand strength to their reach on social media the visibility of their sport the extent to which they drive consumer purchasing decisions their authenticity their you know every element of it as well as their on-field performance of course because that's a massive part of the marketability of any individual athlete so we've gone through this process developed this model and ultimately it breaks down across kind of three key areas athlete brand strength total addressable market and economics slash triple bottom line which really brings into play other elements beyond kind of straightforward financial 
ROI and why brands might align with an athlete. So there's a lot that goes into this. I'm sure we'll go into it um, in due course. In terms of the evaluation period, just so that listeners are aware, we, this year's list, we, we were tracking from June 2022 through to August 2023. And so that incorporates you know a couple of World Cups, a men's and a women's editions, I think for the first time ever, as well as all of the other events and things that have taken place during that time. So it's over a year that we've been tracking these athletes to get to this point. We've taken a real kind of macro view of the sporting ecosystem this year and really viewed sport as a kind of product category in its own right with individual brands within it. It's a bit of a market research approach, I guess, and mapped out that entire ecosystem. Ultimately, what we came to when you look at the kind of top ranked athletes who might be considered for a global marketability list like this, we got to around a thousand athletes that could really potentially be included on a top 50 list across 174 different sports and we whittled that down to an extended list of 125 and then obviously the top 50 within that and for that 125 that we got to there was a further kind of layer of qualitative analysis within that to go beyond those traditional kind of quantitative metrics like social following and earnings and the reach and visibility of sports and things like that to really add in an additional dimension as i said so yeah going back to my initial point i feel like this is the most robust and comprehensive kind of assessment that we've certainly ever undertaken i'd be surprised if anyone else in the industry has taken a similar kind of approach as well a very comprehensive explanation as well mike i was uh i was actually going to jump in as well and just uh <laughs> i was just going to say like, i think there's like a few important things to note with the methodology as well and i'd like basically encourage all of our listeners to read the methodology because i don't think you're going to get as much out of this list unless you do give that methodology a quick scan even personally you know you sort of see the list taking it at face value there are definitely a few question marks but if you do kind of read that methodology a bit first you start to kind of appreciate why certain athletes are where they are i think one of the important things for me is just the weighting within the methodology so those three pillars that mike mentioned the total adjustable market pillar has a 45 percent weighting to an athlete's overall score athlete brand strength makes up 35 percent, and then the economics accounts for 20 percent. that's obviously really important because if you're thinking of an athlete that is really famous uh, has lots of social media followers or an athlete who earns a significant amounts of money they're not going to be really high on the list purely because of those factors and the way that it's weighted means that if they're not as strong in certain other areas they're going to slip a little bit further down the list so i think that's kind of a significant thing to point out and i think the other thing that's important to note is that north star also applied a momentum measurement to the athlete brand strength and total addressable market pillars this year which takes into account sort of key milestones storylines over that evaluation period also things like the general trajectory of a sport in terms of investment going into it media rights valuations increasing things like that which is why i think as we'll kind of come on to you know there are a lot more female athletes on the list this year for example which reflects momentum being seen in that space so yeah as mike said like a really robust methodology but some kind of for me, just a couple of important things to point out before like, we really get into it. Yeah, maybe this is a good chance to talk about the, the number one. And spoiler alert here, it's uh, Lionel Messi, everybody. I'm sure you probably knew that already if you've checked out the dedicated port we've got for this and any other comms we've done around it. I think his ranking is really interesting. His, his total marketability score is 94.81. But to Sam's point, he has a perfect 20 score in the Econ Triple Bot Online score. But I guess it's what speaks to his strength as a as a marketable athlete are the fact that he also scores highly in total addressable market and athlete brand strength as well. Slightly lower on the athlete brand strength than maybe Le, than LeBron, who's in second place. But I think it, it says that his unique appeal, right, across all of those three fields that he's able to score so highly, that 
perfect triple bottom line score that I think stands out to me. I don't think I've ever seen that in any other ranking or version of this we've done before in terms of weighted scoring. Yeah, not something that you'd necessarily associate with Messi. I mean, in terms of the fact that that econ pillar doesn't just account for the fact that these athletes earn a lot from their endorsements and their on-field earnings, but it also takes into account how their actions have an impact on the social community and also their commitment to environmental causes as well, which, you know, that's not something that you typically associate with Messi. I think more people just tend to think of him as the best football player on the planet, a guy who makes a lot of money from playing the game and also the sponsorships that come with that. But dig a little deeper and he has actually been making quite a lot of moves in those other spaces which contribute to that score. You know, he's been a UNICEF ambassador for several years. He's got his Lionel Messi foundation, which um, has donated millions to charitable causes over the years. So that's like one of the key reasons that that score in the econ pillar is so high. You could make an argument for Messi being the world's most marketable athlete in any year, probably. But now we've got the data to back it up. But I think also just in terms of that momentum element that I was talking about before, this is kind of another good example of this contributing to that because there have been so many storylines around Messi this year. You know, winning the World Cup in Qatar in 2022 was the crowning moment on on his career. You know, the only trophy that he hadn't won. It was kind of a stick for people to beat him with at times and that he hadn't emulated his compatriot Diego Maradona in that respect. So a lot of people thought he couldn't be considered the GOAT until he'd got that achievement. And that was actually something that a lot of his sponsors tapped into as soon as that happened. Um, and then obviously later, more recently in the summer, his move to into Miami, that's kind of been one of the stories of 2023. So yeah, tons of momentum behind Messi right now, even as he kind of approaches the twilight of his career. So yeah, on top of all of those things that contribute to his econ score, his athlete brand strength score and his um, high performance in the other pillar as well, like the momentum element is really important for him topping this year's ranking too. Yeah, and just to jump in, if Sam sounds like someone who's done a hell of a lot of research into Lionel Messi and his background in the year he's just had, then that's because he has. And he's just written a fantastic feature, which is available on sportsbromedia.com right now on Messi, um, speaking to some of those who have done deals with Messi and, and marketed him. Really interesting piece. So I urge everyone to have a read of that and uh, therefore Sam doesn't have to plug his own piece. <laughs> Cheers, Mike. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can call off the podcast now one kind of final thought on Messi so like he's near perfect in, in most of these scores but actually interestingly if you rank him by his athlete brand strength he's, he's kind of middle of the pack when it comes to the top 50 it maybe talks to that piece that we discussed previously when thinking about this list perhaps having that really broad audience means that you don't engage in an authentic way quite as well as some others do so Simone Biles for example has a perfect 35 score in this rank and a really high authenticity score within that breakdown all of this stuff is available within our 50mm hub and you can get it all on the pdf if you sign up and download it all it's all there all of this stuff is there for you to check out but yeah Messi's sort of he's not languishing he's still scored 30 out of 35 when it comes to this mark but there's just some interesting names there and that goes to that piece doesn't it of perhaps he's not the most socially engaging whereas if you look at some of the names at the top of the list here you've got Simone Biles LeBron James Naomi Osaka Lewis Hamilton who again is a long-time member of the 50mm top 50 he's been up and down the list over the years and yeah, if you look at his authenticity score, he absolutely comes out on top in that. And that's probably no surprise given his activities in F1 in recent years. I think a lot of those names you mentioned there have been number one. Osaka, Biles, Hamilton, LeBron have all been 
number one in previous years. But I think that's an interesting point around authenticity and how you go about quantifying that. It's a very kind of vague, bit of a nebulous term, I think, for many people. And it's a bit of a buzzword, let's face it, in the sports marketing world, authenticity, you know, when brands are looking for values alignment and things like that, they're looking at authentic ambassadors that they want to serve as spokespeople for their brands and things. But actually how you quantify that, it's pretty difficult, but authenticity is over half of the weighting of the athlete brand strength pillar. So it's obviously a crucial kind of part of that whole brand strength of an athlete alongside other things like brand risk and their reputation and their performances on the field of play as well, of course. But yeah, I think authenticity as defined by ourselves and Northstar is that kind of genuine, honest representation of an athlete's true self. And you can sit here and say, how do we know what an athlete's true self is? But if they are constantly engaging with their audiences, appearing in the media, putting out content through their own channels, you can very quickly or over over the course of time, the fullness of time, you can build up a picture of what it is that resonates with those athletes, what they're passionate about, what they like to talk about. And so if um, you know, you've got someone like Neymar posing in front of private jets and things like that, if he were then to come out and start promoting a brand that's all about green travel and electric mobility and start talking about environmental causes, I think very quickly you kind of call bullshit on that, right? So it's things like that. The authenticity score within this model kind of accounts for inauthenticity as well and anything that might contradict that. So it's a really interesting one because you then start digging into athletes' kind of backgrounds and their characters and things like that when you start trying to quantify that and look for trends there. There's some really interesting stories that come out, but ultimately those ones that are very clear, take a stance, they're willing to speak out on certain causes, you know, whether it's Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, LeBron James, Lewis Hamilton, you know, they're, they're invariably going to rank very highly in, in the authenticity uh, sense, I think. So it's a really interesting one to explore. And I think a ranking just based on authenticity in itself would be very interesting to do. Yeah, it seems as well like Lewis Hamilton gets that cut through to talk about those things that he wants to talk about, which is sustainability, which is social equality. Despite the fact that, especially on the sustainability side, he is operating in a sport where like, you look at it and you go, all right, yeah, F1, you jet around the world and you drive cars. Like, How does that make you authentic in sustainability? But the fact that he managed to still score so highly in that speaks to his success, I think, in doing so. On that note, I guess Hamilton, I really don't like this phrase, but he sort of he walks the talk on, on that kind of stuff as well. He's quite happy to question the sport in its commitment to sustainability. It's reflected in his own actions as well in terms of the investments that he makes. You know, he's invested in sustainable companies like Neat Burger, Meat Free Restaurant Chain, got an Extreme E team as well. And then even on sort of in terms of his commitment to other causes as well and you know the stands that he's taken against racial injustice he's also taken actions in that realm as well we set up the hamilton commission to improve representation of black people in in uk motorsport and has regularly spoken about the need to be more diverse so you can see pretty quickly why he scores so well in that authenticity driver which as mike says like accounts for a significant weighting within the athlete brand strength pillar. I was actually, without wanting to go back to Messi, but just because I've been looking at his social media so much recently um, for that feature that you mentioned, I was trying to like kind of figure out why he isn't deemed to be authentic and whatever. And what you can kind of see, and it's a common thread within his social media posts basically, is that you can tell it's not been written by him. Ultimately, you can tell that it's a sponsored post, whereas essentially other athletes might be better at integrating sponsors into their social media content. Whereas Messi, who has been around for a really long time now and I guess kind of broke onto the scene in 
what a lot of people might sort of think of as the previous era of sports marketing when brands basically craved control sort of wanted to know that the message athletes were going to be putting out there was exactly what they wanted that's kind of the era that Messi has come through and that's still seen in the way that he engages on social whereas we've got this new wave of athletes now who are putting their own voice across essentially on those platforms so perhaps that's why sort of the authenticity angle starts to skew a little bit more also i'm feeling like messi can probably just be like oh i can't be asked to write my own instagram captions i'd rather just pay someone <laughs> yeah else. he doesn't need to yeah I can, I can just pay someone else to do it and fair play to him um one, one more name i'd like to kind of um go into and i think worth exploring before i test your knowledge on the 50 most marketable athletes list this year is olivia dunn it, uh, the second year she's been on the list uh she's the highest ranked uh college athlete on this list and she scores very highly when it comes to her total addressable market pillar just kind of interested to sort of see why it is that someone who is a a gymnast in college gymnastics by no means a massive high profile sport in the us even in the college kind of space why is it that she's able to score so highly and and viewed so so favorably amongst uh well yeah within the ranking and amongst marketers generally Olivia Dunn in many ways is kind of the best example of an athlete who's been able to capitalize on new name image likeness regulations in the US that allow college athletes to sign brand deals, basically get some money back for companies using their name image and likeness basically. And it's a a few years ago, we wouldn't have had any college athletes on this list because they weren't able to do that at the time. It sort of goes back to what I was just talking about before in that we have sort of a new wave, a new generation of athletes now who are willing to use their social platforms to kind of put across their true selves. One of the reasons that Olivia Dunn's total addressable market score is so high is because she's really really prominent on tiktoks is really really prominent on instagram and on both of those platforms you've got an audience especially on tiktok an audience that skews a lot younger and that's kind of played a factor in giving her quite a high score within that pillar and you'll actually see as you go down the list this year that one of the reasons that some of the athletes do slip down a little bit further is because they aren't engaging with that younger demographic. They aren't engaging with that audience that is on TikTok, that is on Instagram, maybe in the same way that a college athlete like Olivia Dunn can. And with those millions of followers that she has across those platforms, that's really appealing to brands that want to reach those audiences as well. So she kind of in the last few years has really shot to prominence, obviously benefiting from these new rules on NIL. You know, we might even start to see more college athletes on this list in the future. I think there's two on there this year, Angel Reese being the other one, the basketball player. But yeah, I think it's a, an interesting trend and one that's probably only going to continue given the following that college athletes have in the US. It's not quite the same in UK and I guess in Europe and perhaps other markets in that these college athletes are so visible in the US from the moment they are playing for their colleges because of the broadcast coverage and now because of the sort of platform they have on social media as well. So yeah, it's not really a surprise to see that she's, that she's jumped uh, 14 places this year. Well put, Sam, indeed. Um, yeah, Angel Reese is, uh, is another one to flag. She's a basketball player, which is obviously way more high profile. And I think the rise of Women's March Madness and the fact that that's got a much bigger push over recent years is probably a major contributing factor to, to how well she's doing. I think she's 19th on the list. So actually, I need to correct the record and say that Angel Reese is the highest uh, placed NCAA athlete on this year's list. But hopefully the listeners can forgive me. I think it kind of, it shows that with, with, obviously NIL is such a nascent space. It just speaks to the fact that you don't necessarily have to be the very best in your field at that if you're going to be a marketable college athlete. It's also down to how you're performing on social and how you use those platforms. Obviously, we've mentioned Angel Reese and Olivia Dunn here, but if you think of some of the other 
college athletes that you could name that have done really well in the NIL space. You think of the Cavendish twins, probably, who were sort of known for playing basketball, but all of a sudden, because of their social media profile, because of how they've engaged audiences on those platforms, have now become a lot more than just athletes. And there's kind of talk of like WWE tie-ins and all that sort of thing and crossing over into other forms of entertainment. It really sort of speaks to this sort of era of the influencer athlete, I guess. And when I say influencer, I'm not talking about your Jake Pools or KSIs, for example. I'm just talking about those athletes who are kind of influencing the conversation a lot more because of what they are doing on social and how they're using those platforms. I think that's another sort of interesting thing to mention as well. Yeah, I think that's it. it goes to a bit of an evolution that we've seen over the 14 years of you know us doing this list. When you look at athletes in college and coming out of college, your gut feel, your average fan will kind of look to okay who's the top pick in the nba draft or the nfl draft that's the natural tendency to look at that but i think actually you know some of these other athletes and other potentially other other sports who you know have that influence and really cut through on social there's a big buzz around them there's a lot of awareness around them around march madness for sure caitlin clark i think is in the extended list of one two five and obviously was a huge focal point for that in march but you know athletes aren't necessarily constrained by or defined by their sport they can cut through and and break out and transcend that if they manage their social channels in the right way and and things like that the total addressable market pillar in our model accounts for awareness of the athlete of course but it's also things like sentiment and the buzz that exists around their brand at at that particular moment in time and the, the growth in attention that they're seeing so yeah that trajectory that some of these athletes are on is definitely accounted for within this but yeah i think it's a it's a really interesting shift and the nil discussion will only continue in future years for sure all right i don't know about you guys but i feel like we've given a pretty good overview of where the list is at and how we got here should we test a bit of your knowledge on 50 mm no (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's fine all right let's go for it i've got a good record in sports pro quizzes i think i've won one out of one so (laughs) there's the challenge laid down for you mike let's do it couple rounds for this quiz First will be a higher or lower round where I will give you an athlete, I will give you their score and a certain metric, and you will have to tell me whether or not the other athlete that I mentioned is higher or lower in that category. One point per correct answer. The first higher or lower is Naomi Osaka, who has a total addressable market score of 34.62. Now, is that higher or lower than US women's national team striker Alex Morgan? Sam, it is. Is it lower? Uh, I would like to pass over to Mike. What is the correct answer? Mm, I think I'll say higher then. (laughs) You would be correct. Uh, Alex Morgan has a very high score on the total adjustable market of um, 45, which, like, I mean, as as we sort of discussed in that sort of prelude there, that kind of takes in many different factors, right? When it comes, when we talk about total adjustable market, like that's their overall reach, their attention growth. And sponsor awareness too, I imagine. So like with Alex Morgan, she's just come out of a World Cup, whereas Naomi Osaka has taken a year off. So that perhaps explains that a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Alex Morgan ranks very, very high. She's the highest ranked female right in the list this year and certainly excels in that total addressable market perspective. Excels in most areas, let's face it. But in terms of her, you know, her awareness of her, you know, she certainly transcends football and transcends the US market in 
in a way that few other kind of female footballers do. She's been around for a long time. She's also very vocal on a lot of different issues. If you look at the makeup of her endorsement portfolio, I think it's just littered with blue chip brands, you know, that everyone would have heard of. It's a kind of who's who of major sports marketers. Obviously, Nike, Coca-Cola and brands of that ilk, basically. So I think she's right up there. And uh, it might raise a few eyebrows seeing her at number three. And uh, I think a few eyebrows would have been raised at a few other rankings in the list. But yeah, it's, it's always interesting to dig a little deeper, as we've been saying. Yeah, and, and like the uh, to, to, to that point as well, like the Naomi Osaka in comparison, her brand buzz score is below single digits, so 0.40. I mean, if you're not active, then you can't expect to score highly in this risk. But it, I guess it speaks to Naomi Osaka's other marketability factors that she's still able to rank 14th, which is the, the second highest placed female tennis player on the list behind only Coco Goff. Yeah, like remarkable strong... Um brand strength i think osaka has i think it's her score was sort of like 34.5 which is about as high as it can be and yeah i think yeah with osaka as well with that econ factor as well that's taking into account things like social causes and and the environmental and commitment to, in, to the environment as well like she's been kind of at the forefront over that over recent years she's sort of she comes out really highly in authenticity as well because you know when naomi osaka thinks something she speaks her mind about it she was obviously one of the first people to kind of speak out about her struggles with mental health and take a break from the game because of that. Obviously, hasn't as you mentioned, Tom hasn't been playing because of pregnancy. And yeah, she kind of wears her heart on her sleeve, Naomi Osaka. And I think that combined with like her excellence on the court is one of the reasons that even when she isn't playing, people are kind of still interested in what she's up to. No, absolutely. Right. Are you guys ready for the second question? Let's do it. Cristiano Ronaldo, everyone's favourite Portuguese footballer and Saudi Pro League flagship figure. He has an athlete brand strength score of 19.86. Is that higher or lower than Alexia Petulas, the Spanish Women's World Cup winner from this year, in that same category? So does he have a higher or lower athlete brand strength score than Alexia Petulas? We're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> Sam Garp, I'm going to have to come to you again. And do you have an answer? I'm going to say she has a higher brand strength. You would be correct. The reason I think I picked out those two people in particular to compare is that obviously we think of Cristiano Ronaldo as a highly bankable star in terms of athlete marketing. He's been number one on this list just last year, I think, if I'm not correct. And this is a, something that I think we've noted many times is that he really does struggle in that authenticity metric. And this is where, in comparison, Female footballers in particular are particularly strong because they have probably some of that ground-up basis and that authenticity baked into what they do just generally. As we were saying earlier about authenticity, you know, um, it would be the last word I would associate with Cristiano Ronaldo, put it that way. But on the other hand, female footballers, they are, as a lot of female athletes are, just, you know, they, they speak their mind, don't they? And increasingly so. And I think we've seen that resonate with a lot of brands, um, brand marketers who also want to be seen to be taking a stance on things. I think there's a lot of subjects now and issues now that aren't seen as so taboo and brands are quite happy to lend their weight and their support behind certain things. And that resonates certainly with that Gen Z kind of millennial uh, demographic that is so coveted by brand marketers as well. And so female footballers certainly offer a platform for that and uh, kind of authentic ambassadors for that kind of message. And so, you know, whether it's gender equality, equal pay, diversity and inclusion, all of these are issues that female footballers are always talking about, basically. It's it's ultimately kind of like, I guess, the um, 
the pervading narrative isn't there around women's sport these days and certainly women's football is that element we've seen the u.s women's national team and others you know taking their national governing body to court to fight for equal pay and ultimately when you look at the whole women's world cup this year and you know how it going into that world cup there was all the talk about is fifa valuing the media rights in the right way have they undervalued it are they shooting themselves in the foot by not doing deals in key markets in europe and then there's a tournament book ended by uh, you know what happened with with spain and the hermoso kiss and everything that went on around that as well all of that noise there the through line through that whole tournament and you know it continues to this day is is um is all about that treatment of women in society not just in sport but also just the you know female athletes and women's sport and how you value it and how they are valued so yeah it's, it's a really interesting uh trend there so yeah not a kind of not not to slay ronaldo too much but he's certainly not you know part of that conversation let's say it is interesting to look at ronaldo's demise a little bit as well though in this year because as tom mentioned he was number one last year wasn't he and he slipped to like is it 28 this year 27 28 anyway late 20s but i think over the past year it's kind of confirmed almost what a lot of people have kind of associated with ronaldo and especially when having a conversation about him and messi and that ronaldo has always been the kind of more extroverted of the, of the two, he likes being in the spotlight, he likes the attention, he likes the celebrity of it all. And when you behave like that, I think like more people are willing to sort of see your demise as well. And I think so Ronaldo going to Saudi Arabia for a lot of people sort of confirmed this view of him as a bit of a kind of mercenary-like figure in a way and that he was happy to kind of take the biggest paycheck available to him if it meant that he was still going to be the biggest name in whatever league that he was playing in and the centre of attention ultimately. And Messi, sort of by going to Miami, made himself kind of the antithesis of that, not to suggest that he's not getting paid handsomely for doing that and that he isn't kind of the man in the spotlight. But while Ronaldo's gone over to a league that is just associated with money, Messi's gone over to this market that was kind of already at the centre of the sports marketing universe, put himself back in the conversation after kind of not disappearing, but like being a little bit overshadowed in terms of his club career at PSG. And yeah, since he's gone there, it's kind of been the story. So I think it's just been kind of interesting to see how that's impacted both of those players and how those moves have impacted their marketability. Because yeah, whatever you think about the Saudi Pro League, that has impacted Ronaldo's visibility and Messi going over to the US is definitely going to improve his. Nice. Well, final higher or lower for this round is, I'm going to pluck a name from random here, actually, make this a little bit more difficult. Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He has a... Uh, econ triple bottom line score of 16.83 is that higher or lower than neymar higher incorrect Giannis has a lower econ triple bottom line score than neymar sam perhaps you can tell us a little bit about why um that is actually quite surprising to be honest i have to say it's reasonably significant in this uh in this uh field as well so it's a whole it's pretty much a whole three points which um i mean that's the difference between about 20 athletes. So yeah, Neymar, um, yeah, Neymar seems to score high in terms of like their, uh, the extent to which their their social and community benefits generates. Uh, benefits through their actions, influence and engagement is, is how we've described this. But I, I thought, I did find that one interesting and that's why I picked it out, even if we can't quite decipher whether or not that means he's got a high lower score. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. The private jet loving Bolsonaro supporting Neymar is uh, above. Yeah. All three. Unbelievable. We'll get on to the North Star about that. <laughs> 
maybe that's a good place to uh, to, to end to end that round. Um, I think if we're, if we're doing scoring, um, Sam is two up. We're not, I'm not awarding any points for that last one. It was a that was a disaster. <laughs> Um, right, uh, the, the the final round, and this this one's a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit more, a um, little bit less serious than than the previous. But is where are they now? And this, I picked out some names that aren't just in the top fifty. This goes all the way down to one, two, five. So the first name is Canelo Alvarez, who first appeared on this list in twenty thirteen, where he was thirty second. In twenty twenty one, he was fourth. Where is he on this year's list? I'll take the correct answer, maybe within ten. So, Mike, give me give me your answer, and then Sam, give me yours. Oh, he's he's low. I know that he's a hundred and eighth. I'll go with eighty six. Mike is on the board. Uh, Canelo Alvarez is ranked on this year's list, hundred and sixteenth. Oh, oh wow, yeah, uh, uh, that surprised me as well. Like, uh, there's. There's not a lot of um, of combat sports athletes in this. Not a lot of boxers, which I think is yeah. a maybe an interesting thing to to dig into. I'm not too up on my boxing and fight sports these days, but did Alvarez have any big fights in the last uh, last year or so? I didn't hear so much about him. He's had lots of fights. He lost a fight, didn't he, for the first time in a very long time? Really showing our uh, our knowledge of combat sports here. Saying I think. Well, uh, I mean, also, also probably goes to say that, like, if you're not getting that level of cut through, and it's our jobs to kind of track this stuff day to day and at least be aware of what's going on in the sport. That if um, if one of the bigger names in the sport is isn't cutting through in that same way, then maybe boxing isn't quite so in the healthy place that we thought it was. I do think also there was a period not so long ago when you know it felt like boxing was on a real upward trajectory like aj was number one in this list not so long ago the first year that i was involved in it aj being anthony joshua and everyone was kind of predicting a real renaissance for the heavyweight division and that just kind of hasn't quite materialized partially because aj himself his form kind of fell off a cliff obviously tyson fury's re-emergence was a good story for the sport and he had that epic trilogy with deontay wilder but since then it's just kind of the momentum I don't think has continued and it felt like not that long ago when there was a real clamor not only like from an audience perspective but also from a business perspective like boxing media rights were really commanding significant sums you know we saw DAZN like put it at the heart of their launch in the US for example you know Matchroom were raking it in over here for with AJ as kind of like the golden goose for them that conversation seems to have simmered down a little bit more now and actually I've mentioned them already on this podcast. If anything, there seems to be more momentum behind influencer boxing and what the likes of Jake Paul and KSI are doing at the moment. So I don't know whether that has actually had an impact. I think the conversation when that started to happen was that that would actually improve the general marketability of the sport, but maybe it's actually in another way started to take away from it completely and just created a bit of a silo and that these guys kind of exist in their own world now and the sort of boxes by trade, if I'm gonna, if that's the way I'm putting it, they're kind of like their marketability is kind of diminishing because of the emergence of those sort of influencer athletes. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really strong point. It was supposed to be good for the whole game, and actually, it's really not proving to be the case. Right? If my mental maths are correct, I believe that uh, Mike needs to get this one right, or otherwise he's completely. <laughs> um, that works for me. So, I like those mental maths. Uh, <laughs> so. The pressure is on. Uh, Virat Kohli first appeared uh, in 50 Most Marketable in 2013 when he was 13. Last year, he was seventh. Where is he on this year's list? I know this one. 57th. You are correct. So that, I believe, ties up the scores. 
But perhaps, Mike, you can talk a little bit as to why Virat Kohli is 57th on this year, having dropped 50 spots. Biggest faller, one of the biggest fallers, I think. Wow. Good luck. Yeah, you're the pressure on. Good really luck. Really putting the pressure on there now. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't follow cricket. I don't even know who Virat Kohli is, so I can't answer that question, Tim. <laughs> George Brewer will be disgusting. <laughs> So, like, he, he scores not particularly highly or very poorly uh, in in his total addressable market, um, which I think, like, as the sort of biggest pillar in and the most uh, important pillar in all of this, it, that, that that to me stood out, I think, uh, as, as being one of the more interesting elements of his demise. But I guess it also goes to, it speaks to the fact that, like we've got other we've got other Indian cricketers ranked higher in this list. So Smriti Mandana, a star for the women's team and a star in the in the WPL, and Hardik Pandya is the other one who's member of the top fifty for this year. Yeah, I think it's interesting with Kohli. I think that's probably one of the names that will stand out to people the most in terms of not being on the list, especially because he was seventh last year. So it's dropping fifty places is a pretty big demise. I guess you know if you look at some of the reasons that were given for him dropping that far is because his audience reach comes from a handful of countries cricket is obviously a massive sport in his home market of india which is a hugely populous uh, country as we all know but then you know there's only a handful of nations where cricket is big and then i guess also you touched on it there tom pandas in there this year it's i suppose it's been a bit of a transitional year generally on the pitch for india and that Kohli isn't the captain anymore. Pandya is the captain of the T20 side. Rohit Sharma is the captain of the ODI side. He's captain them in the Cricket World Cup at the moment. Um, so maybe that has also played a factor in terms of, you know, whatever role sort of in sport performance does play in these rankings. So there are some reasons why he has dropped off. You could argue all day about the marketability of Virat Kohli. I think his, you know, his endorsement portfolio speaks to the fact that a lot of brands <laughs> are still willing to invest in him and still think that he has big cut through and a lot of people will still think of him as the star in Indian cricket but I guess also it's important to know that like 57 is not that low you're still the 57th most marketable athlete in the world <laughs> I think uh, it's quite easy to forget that in this list it's quite easy to get caught up of who's above who and whatnot but I think still being 57th most marketable athlete in the world as you approach that point in your career is still quite significant and isn't going to put off brands for investing in you no certainly not round of applause for Virat Kohli <laughs> He'll love being ranked 57 as well. Uh, I, I mean, actually, there's a couple of things you said that I found, that I found particularly interesting. So obviously, Hardik Pandey is the captain of the T20 side, and he ranks above Rohit Sharma as the captain of the ODI side. We're seeing the ODI World Cup currently going on in India. Really, really low crowds. I, I don't know if anyone's tracked this, but like there, there are not many people in the stadiums. It's not having the kind of cut through that they wanted, and there's myriad reasons for that. But probably says as well that T20, even on the international stage and within India and Indian cricket, is starting to starting to pull away when it comes to the focus marketing and um, all right so scores are currently 2-2 kind of feel like we should probably wrap it up and the way to do so i think that'd be most appropriate is a trivia question to decide a winner so this one is very simple there is only one correct answer and i will need fastest fingers first who was the number one 50 most marketable athlete in 2015 mike has come in first was it Jeannie Bouchard? It was Jeannie Bouchard. And there is a reason why I picked this. Gah. 
Whose decision was that? <laughs> Breaking none of the blame for that one. <laughs> well, it's a remarkable comeback. Mike has somehow managed to snatch away victory in this quiz from Sam by, with the knowledge that he successfully put, he successfully managed to place Eugenie Bouchard at the top of the 2015 rankings. And it's, we should probably all be grateful from that that um, North Star are now more heavily involved in, in, in deciding them. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay gents well thank you very much for your time today i really appreciate it i think that was good fun hopefully it wasn't too confusing and um we'll uh, we'll have to do this more often I think. well let's, let's save it for next year uh, we, this, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into these uh these lists and these rankings so uh doing anything more frequent than an annual basis might just push us to the limit i meant just having you on the podcast mike but we can we can do more lists if you want <laughs> okay uh, okay fair enough i'll, I'll see you next year then <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you mike thank you very much sam and uh thank you for listening 